It must have looked awfully strange. Pierce, he was a little guy at the time, no more than a toddler. He was eating some Cheerios in the kitchen. I was there with him. And then Bree walked in. And when Bree walked in, she started speaking this gibberish language. And I just responded in kind. And we're having this nonsensical conversation. And as we're talking, our arm gestures get big. Our voice, our tone changes. We're just having fun with this nonsense conversation. This lasts for a couple minutes. And we forgot that Pierce was even in the room until he spoke up with Cheerio in hand and said, you guys are weird. Now, at that moment, we were laughing and our nonsense language wouldn't do anymore. At that moment, we needed English because we just had to communicate. As the gathering of the church takes place electronically this weekend, uh, I imagine that maybe it seems a little strange. Maybe it looks a little weird. And it certainly seems weird to me to preach to a room of empty pews. Uh, But we need to communicate. We just have to be together in this time of distancing. And it's really physical distancing because socially we've got to draw near. We've got to be together. So right now I want you on your Facebook just to log in, just to say hi. Let us know that you're here. Let us know that you're engaging. Uh, Because while your family may be alone in your house, you need to be reminded of the fact that you're a part of a bigger story. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning, that every family is a part of a bigger story. Isaiah reminds us of just that in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. We're in the middle of a series where we're trying to connect the church and the home. And this morning, I think we're doing a great job of that, right? We're taking the church right to you. But The biblical understanding of church is that we are the church. A building is not the church. The church is the people. We are the called out sent ones. And so every family has been called to be a part of a bigger story. Listen to the words of the prophet. Isaiah says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives And the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praises instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall rise up their former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Does that passage sound at all familiar to you? It might, because it's the passage that Jesus uh, read from in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus at that time had just begun his public ministry. He had done a few miracles. The word about him had begun to spread. And so he goes to the temple where Jesus worshipped. And when he was there, he was given this high honor of reading from the scroll. And so the scroll is brought out. Jesus opens it. He rolls it open to the place of Isaiah 61. And there he begins to read these verses. He sprinkles in a little from Isaiah 58 as well. But most of what he reads is what we just read. 
And at this time, with this reading, it is a public announcement of his ministry. Jesus is saying, this is why the Messiah is here. This is why the anointed one has come. And so he's, he's making it official and he's letting everybody know this is his purpose. This is his reason for coming. This is his reason for being. This is what he's going to do. Now, some say that uh, you need a vision statement for your life that a concise one or two sentences to kind of summarize your reason for being, that your purpose in life, your uh, kind of mission statement yourself. Well, this is Jesus, and this is his mission statement. This is his vision, and this is how he understands his ministry to be unfolding. It guided him in knowing how he should live. Well, if those words were so influential in the life of Jesus, don't you think they should be pretty influential in our lives as well, in our ministries as well? Perhaps we should take careful notice of these and we'll be reminded that every family is part of a bigger story. You know, when Jesus says these words and as God introduces him and he's, he's preaching this message that the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark introduces us to Jesus as the one who came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He picks up on the message of John the Baptist and he preaches this message. There was one time when Peter was looking for him. Everybody's looking for him. And finally they find him. Peter finds him. And Jesus says, hey, we've got to go to the surrounding cities. We have to preach this message. This is what I've been called to do. One of the most significant aspects of Jesus' life and ministry was telling the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Near enough for you to be a part of it. Close enough that you can turn around, that you can repent, and that you can now experience a new life, a life of meaning, a life of purpose. And the church, we now as representatives of Jesus, we, we get to proclaim that same message. We, we get to go around and tell people the kingdom of God is near. It's near enough for you to take hold of it, for you to grasp hold of it, for it to change your life, for it to redefine your purpose, your reason for being, why you're on planet earth anyway. The rest of this passage here in Isaiah 61, it all just serves the greater mission. This is the primary mission of Jesus. And the rest of the passage serves that so he can effectively proclaim this. The the next thing that Jesus says that is crucial to his ministry and what the anointed one will be all about is that he will bind up the brokenhearted. You know, there are some people who are hurting so bad that they can't hear the gospel unless you find a way to deal with that pain. Sometimes it's just the basic needs of life. Sometimes they're just deep, deep, messy circumstances. And it begins to drown out the good news of the gospel, so much so they can't really hear it. I mean, you think about it. What was the good news that Jesus brought to the wedding party in Cana? It wasn't first that the kingdom of God was at hand. No, no, the first good news that Jesus brought to this couple who the wine had run out and it risked embarrassment. I mean, what a way, what a tragic way to start a new marriage, new life together. Jesus comes and he brings wine so that the celebration can continue. That's the first good news that he brings. What about to the, to the blind man? The blind man comes, What's what's the first good news that Jesus brings? He brings sight. He allows the blind man to see it. Even in that moment, he can't answer the theological questions, but he can say this, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. That's the good news. How about the demoniac? What was the first good news that Jesus brought him? Jesus set his mind at ease. He removed the demons that were tormenting him. And after that, the man wanted to follow Jesus and go with him anywhere. Because Jesus had healed him. 
That was the first good news. The lepers, Jesus made them clean. The hungry on the, on, the, on the hillside, Jesus fed them. The first good news is often binding up the brokenhearted so that they're able to hear the gospel. Sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to come alongside and find just the basic needs and the, the deep hurts. And we have to bind up the brokenhearted so their heart can calm down enough so they can hear again that they can understand love again so that they can experience the good news. We're, we're living in different times right now. We've got a new normal here for a little bit. And I'd love it if right now, if you could just post on this feed some ways that you could perhaps bind up the brokenhearted right now. What are, what are some things that you can do in this time that we're physically distant that you could go and you could just bring a little bit of good news to people who may be in isolation, to people who may be hurting, people who may feel lonely. What can you do right now in, in these different kind of times so that ultimately one day down the road, you're going to be able to share the ultimate good news of Jesus? Because right now you took the time to bind up the brokenhearted. See, I believe that if the church right now will be a light in the darkness, if we will be as present as possible through this storm, I am fully convinced that we will emerge on the other side much stronger and healthier because of it. But if we shrink back during these times, during these difficult times, I think it's going to be a whole lot harder for us to be able to bind up the brokenhearted afterwards. It'll be that much more difficult for our friends and our neighbors who need Jesus to hear the truly good news of the gospel. See, Jesus went around and he bound up the brokenhearted in difficult times in the most tragic of situations. He brought the good news of the kingdom, but he also brought the good news of something to drink, something to eat. He brought the good news of sight and healing and deliverance. So what's the good news that you can offer right now to somebody who needs a little bit of good news in their life? Now, there was also this message of liberty. Did you catch that? That's where Jesus kind of transitioned to next. Two parts, really. The, the first was to the captives and the second to the prisoners. Uh, sometimes people end up doing time for stuff that's not really their fault. That's kind of what a captive is. You know, sometimes you're, you're taken captive, you're held. It's not really your fault. You didn't do anything, but you're just captive. Well, right now, we're all kind of feeling that a little bit, aren't we? Kind of restricted from our normal daily routines, kind of imprisoned by uh, just circumstances of life that are beyond our control. Jesus says that he came to preach freedom to the captives. But we tell people who are bound up, who are held captive by circumstances beyond their control, that you aren't victim to that cycle. That the power of the resurrection has made it so that you can be free from the cycle of isolation, from the cycle of pain. But beyond the here and now, if you grew up in a dysfunctional home, if you grew up in a home of addiction, in a home of violence, in a home of isolation, you don't have to pass on that pain to the next generation. Your family can be a part of a bigger story. Jesus has come to preach freedom to the captives. The second part of this was the prisoners. And it's interesting. You know what kept them as prisoners? You know what held them? It wasn't chains. It, Jesus didn't come to unshackle the chains. He didn't come to pull back the bars. He didn't come to open the doors. No, he releases them from darkness. The NIV actually brings that out. He pulls them out of darkness. It is the darkness that holds them in prison. 
Maybe you know that darkness. Maybe you know the pain of a bad decision that you made that's just affected a whole lot of other people. And you sometimes can deceive yourself and think, well, if I can just go through enough pain, if I just experience enough pain in my own life that will somehow make up for the mistakes that I've made and the hurt that I've caused other people. And so you try to punish yourself and you try to keep yourself from enjoying anything in life. So you hold this pain, you, you increase this pain, and you hope that if you go through enough pain, maybe, just maybe, that'll be enough and you can be forgiven. But you need to understand this, that is dark thinking. That comes because you are in darkness, because you're held prisoner to the darkness. Because you know what you're really thinking by that, that statement? What you're really saying is, Jesus died for everybody else's sin but mine. And I'm the only one who can pay for my sin. I've got to go through this pain. I've got to just endure a life of torment. But you can't. You can't pay for it. The bill is too high. And all that pain, all that regret, all that hurt, it just makes your world a little darker and a little darker and a little darker. Jesus came and he died for the prisoners as well as the captives. Yeah, it might be your fault. In fact, it is your fault. It's my fault too. It's all of our faults. But Jesus came preaching freedom to us as well. He says, you don't have to stay in the darkness anymore. You don't have to be held captive anymore. We aren't captives and prisoners any longer. We're free to live the life that God intended. We're allowed to live in that freedom. You're free to love. You're free to trust. You're free to hope. You're free to dream again. You aren't just held captive in isolation. You're free to be part of a family, a family that's involved in a bigger story. You aren't a prisoner of your past. There's a future that's been bought and paid for. And I want you to know that this morning. You're sitting alone. You're part of something bigger. You aren't held captive. You aren't held prisoner. Now, As Jesus is reading this mission statement, something incredible happens. He read that he was sent to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. And then at that moment, as as soon as he reads this, that I'm sent to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor, he stops reading and he rolls up the scroll in Luke 4. And he doesn't read the rest of Isaiah's prophecy. And the, the rest of that verse says this, and the day of the vengeance of our God. But he stopped. And as he rolled it up, he said, today, today, what you just heard me read, this prophecy has been fulfilled. So what was Jesus saying? Well, what he was saying was that he had come to bring salvation. He had come to bring the good news of God's favor to all people, that he was the living embodiment of this, and that the year of the favor of the Lord had come because Jesus is present. And he stops and he doesn't go on to read about the day of vengeance that will come because that had not been fulfilled yet. That will come true when he returns. The prophecy also said that part of the Messiah's mission was to comfort those who mourn. For all those who believe that their choices, that their shortcomings, that their mistakes have doomed them and who just live in this mourning, the Messiah has come to turn their mourning to dancing. 
Maybe in your home you need to dance a little bit this morning. Maybe you just need to, to laugh a little bit and have fun a little bit. You need to celebrate because he's allowed your family to be a part of a bigger story. And now we get to bring comfort. We get to bring comfort to those who are hurting, to those who are mourning. We're representatives of the one who comforts. And so people, they, they need a little comfort sometimes. And this is one of those times you can offer a little comfort and then it's going to help them to receive the God of all comfort. Now, after all of this, the prophet says that their mourning has turned to praise. And then he says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness. And those oak trees, he says that they're going to be used to rebuild the cities, that they're going to be used to be able to reclaim what was, what was broken, that they're going to be used uh, to, to reclaim what was torn down by the ravages of time and what's been broken down by the damages of sin. You know, the question comes all the time, like, what, what about our future? Well, what's everything going to look like on the other side of this? And, and what direction are we heading in as a country anyway? And you, get, you hear questions like that, and you hear things like that. But you know what this mission statement tells us in Isaiah? It tells us that the most important thing that you can do to change the future is to send a changed people into that future. That who your family is today should not be who your family is tomorrow. That you are to be growing into becoming oaks of righteousness. Notice how God worked throughout human history, okay? The Hebrews, they were, they were slaves in Egypt, and they were praying, God, would you come and rescue us from this bondage, from this captivity, from this slavery? And then God begins his plan. How does he do it? Moses is born. Now, can you imagine you're praying, God, please send a rescue or deliver us from this slavery. We're in oppression. We're in bondage here in Egypt. God, please help us. And God's plan is to send Moses. But he's born as a baby. It's going to be 80 years before Moses grows up into being this oak of righteousness that he's going to be able to lead his people out of slavery. It's going to take 80 years for Moses to be ready. Samuel. At a time when, when the nation was desperate and people were all going to their different tribes and they needed someone to, to step up and say, this is what the Lord says. This is how we ought to think. This is who we are. We're God's people after all. Well, a woman was praying, a woman named Hannah for a child. And she promised, God, if you just give me a child, I will give him back to you. And then Samuel is born. And when he's a preteen, his mom takes him to the temple where he's going to live there. When God wants to change history, he often begins through the birth of a child. Think about it. God changed everything, and it began with the birth of a little child in Bethlehem. So an important thing for us to do as followers of Jesus to, is to invest in the next generation and to raise them up to be oaks of righteousness. We say that those of us in the family of God are born again, but sometimes we fail to remember all of the implications of that and take that maybe as a little more literally than, than sometimes we do. Because to be born again means you have to learn how to think again. You have to learn how to eat again, how to walk again. You have to learn how to do your finances again and how to have a marriage again and how to be a parent again and, and what it means to work again and live in community again. You've you got to think through all of this Again, what does it mean to live again? Because everything's changed. And sometimes uh, these spiritual children, they're, they're born and we think, all right, you love Jesus, have at it. 
and they flounder because we haven't taught them how to live again. We haven't taught them how to think again. We never take the time to equip them to remain in the company of their old friends and to be a disciple maker there. And instead, they get stomped on. They fall into trouble, into old patterns because they're too weak to withstand the pressures because they don't know how to handle conflict. They don't know how to be a husband, how to be a wife. They don't know how to be a mom or a dad. They don't know how it all works. And they think they'll just figure it out as they go. And they end up, they asking, they end up asking other friends who are, who are prisoners in the darkness. And they get the same darkened understanding. And that's why it's on us to teach them how to be a Christian. That what, it, what it looks like to live this Jesus life, how we, how we live in front of them and with them. That's how we disciple them. So right now, Pastor Donnie said earlier this week that we should be seeing these times as a time of blessing. And I tell you all the time that you've got to make your home a ministry center. And right now we're getting some good practice of doing just that. I mean, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that our home really is a ministry center. Because in these days, your children are watching. They're watching if you're having a Bible time or not. They're listening to how you're praying or not. They're they're watching and seeing if you're calling your friends and checking up on them and praying for them or not. They're they're seeing what you're doing up close and personal. That They're seeing how you live the Jesus life or not. And so it's incumbent upon us in these days that we prioritize training them up so they can be oaks of righteousness. And maybe you don't have children in the home. Your friends, they're noticing how you're reaching out to them or not, that they're, they're seeing what you're posting, whether it's fear or hope, that they're, they're seeing how you live with joy or despair. They're watching, and you have time right now to be tilling some ground of laying a little bit of good news out there so that you can train these people up to be oaks of righteousness a little bit later when you give them the ultimate good news, because people are watching. When you train up the next generation, and you train them up to exchange their garments of grief for clothes of celebration, when you raise up a generation who will live in hope and not in despair, then we will raise up a generation who are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're able to rebuild what sin has stolen. If we want a better future, we must send better people into that future. If you want a future characterized by faith in God and the celebration of the kingdom, then we must train up and raise up a generation who are characterized by a faith in God and a celebration of the kingdom. But we have to do it. We have to be those disciple makers. God invites us to be a part of that process. Every family is called to be part of a bigger story, something a little bigger than themselves. And the question comes, how will you raise up the next generation? How are you going to train up the next generation? Are you going to raise up saplings of weakness or are you going to raise up oaks of righteousness? See, you've called, you've been called to be a part of a bigger story. And right now we have an opportunity to really pour into that. It's an opportunity God gives us every day, but now we get to pause a little bit and we get to remember just what he's called us into, the story that he's invited us all to be a part of. So I hope we'll take this opportunity, and maximize it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your representatives. And in these difficult, kind of strange days, God, I ask that you would grant favor upon your church, that we would raise up oaks of righteousness, that we would send 
a better people into the future and reclaim the future that you have for us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.